It's about you, your health, your family, and your community. This is Sunday Morning Magazine with your host, Rodney Lear. And good morning. Hope you're having a great weekend. Welcome to Sunday Morning Magazine. Well, preparing for college can be overwhelming for students and their families with questions like, how many colleges should I apply for, ACT testing, college visits, college interviews, recommendation letters, financial aid, scholarships, what does it take to get my child into their dream college, and what are colleges really looking for in students? This morning, we focus on preparing students for college. Here this morning to help us make sense of it all, we're joined by leading college admissions professionals. Melissa Baer is with the University of Cincinnati's Admissions and Recruitment Office. We're also joined by Lauren Purcell. She is Dean of Admissions at Xavier University. Remember, more information about the show or to join the conversation, all you have to do is go to our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now and you can find out more about preparing students for college. It's our pleasure to welcome Melissa and Lauren to Sunday Morning Magazine. Thank Thank you so much. All right, good. Now, I feel like I have the cross-town shootout of college admissions right here, right? (laughs) (laughs) But it's all a friendly game here, right? We're just going to talk and we're going to help young people and parents prepare their young people for college. So let's talk about that. Let's get started. Now, before a student even steps one foot on a college campus in high school, education-wise, what prereqs should they be focused on or what should they be doing in your opinion? For me, I would say that's going to be really different for every student. So they're going to work with their high school counselor to choose the classes that work best for them. And a common question that we get is, should I take an advanced placement class, a college prep class? Should I take a dual credit college class at high school? And again, it's really different for each student. We want students to be successful in their coursework. Um, While we like to see advanced placement classes, we like to see the student be challenged um, we know that every student has a different path they need to follow. Okay. I know sometimes we, things that we know that you're looking for, you know, like maybe two years of Spanish or I'm sorry, two years of a foreign language. Is that still the case? It or is. It depends. In most cases, yes. But most students are going to hit those with their graduation requirements. Okay, good. Yeah, I think meeting graduation requirements is a first step in that process that students are working with their guidance counselor to figure out how they take the most challenging classes in which they can be successful. That's the key point. We don't want them to take a class that's way out of their league or that they aren't ready for because that's a little bit of a blemish on their record. So talking to their counselor about how they challenge themselves through their curriculum while also performing well. For some students, that means AP classes and dual enrollment classes. For some students, it doesn't. So they've got to work with that counselor to do that. And then Ohio Common Core standards are what most of us are going to look at as their baseline curriculum, and the high schools all know that. They're prepping them for this process. So usually it's just working with the guidance counselor. And that's really good to know because I think we're all thinking, oh, those AP classes and you need to take that. But it's good to know that that's not it. That's not the full picture. Right. Okay, good, good. Now, at what age level or what grade level should students start seriously thinking about college and their options? When should that start? I think it's so critical for families to have conversations about college from a very, very early age. Uh, I think it sets the tone for families and it sets the expectation for students so that when they get to grade 10 or grade 11 and it becomes a very serious prospect of college, it's not as scary because they've talked about it throughout time. 
They've talked about what it might be like to live on a college campus or what it might be like to attend a college football game or how faculty members might be different than teachers. It's less scary if they do that. But when a student actually needs to dive in and start thinking about it, I think their freshman year of high school is a good time to do that because that's when their grades start to count. It's real then. Every decision that they make as far as their academics in high school from that point on impacts what happens to them in college. So that's when it really becomes real, I think. Okay. Lauren? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's important that families start building a college list of places that the student would be interested in attending, but don't get stuck on one. I think oftentimes students will have kind of a dream school, even in uh, junior high, going into their freshman year, and really think that's the only place for me. But things can change as high school goes on. Other things become more important. Students realize what their, their eventual academic interest might be. So keep an open mind through that. Just keep that search open throughout those first few years of high school and, and don't don't decide that one school is the only school. So you guys actually touched on this, but I want to talk more about this. What's the best time of year to do a college visit, to actually get on campus and to visit these colleges? What's the best time of year? I would say it depends on what grade a student is in. We like them to start earlier. So students in their junior year can visit any time, and it's a good time for them to get their feet wet and find out about those dream campuses and maybe change directions on their list. If they're visiting in their senior year, the sooner the better. The fall of your senior year, you need to be narrowing that list pretty significantly. So starting to do those visits, get some ideas about what's out there, and then you can move through the application process from there. But if they're coming before their senior year, they have a little bit more flexibility on when they do it. A lot of students don't want to visit campuses in the summertime because they don't get a full picture of the vibrancy of the campus. And I think that's a, a respectable choice as well. Okay. All right, Lauren? We definitely encourage students to visit campus, but we also know as students are having a wide college search, they may be looking at schools that financially they're not able to visit. Um, and that's okay. So some families really enjoy college visits. They make it part of the vacation. It's just something they have fun doing. But other families may need to wait and really be particular about the colleges that they visit. And as long as students are able to get a clear picture of what that school is like and whether they would feel comfortable there, that's okay. Um, I, I think it's important that families don't feel pressured to spend a lot of money visiting colleges all over the country and put themselves at a disadvantage. Okay, good. That's fair. And in case you're just tuning in this morning, we're talking about preparing young people for college. We're talking to two admissions professionals right here in Cincinnati. We're talking to Melissa Baer. She's Associate Director of Admissions with the Recruitment Office of Admissions at the University of Cincinnati. We're also speaking to Lauren Purcell. She's Dean of Admissions at Xavier University. For more information on preparing young people for college, visit our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now, like us there now, and you can actually join the conversation there as well and ask Melissa and Lauren any questions. Now, how many colleges should students apply to and what's average? With the common application, which many schools use, it's a standard application. Um, it makes it really easy for students to apply to a lot of schools, but it's tempting to just say, oh, well, here's this school. 
application's free. I'll just apply. And all of a sudden, you have 50 schools on the list. <laughs> and that's too many. Okay. So there are about 3,000-ish four-year colleges in the United States. Don't apply to that many. <laughs> Most students will apply to six to eight. That's pretty standard. I've seen students, spoken to students who have applied to 20, 25. You're going to drive yourself crazy. Okay. It's just so much. And it's hard to keep everything straight with deadlines. Keep it realistic. Keep it to schools that you really think that you could see yourself at um, and schools that you think you have a, a realistic chance of gaining admission. Okay. Melissa? There's a strategy to the college search process, and every family does it differently. Lauren alluded to this earlier. Some families may not be able to visit until the back end, and that may be meaning that they have a longer list at the front end. Some students may be really lucky and they've narrowed down to to four schools that they are relatively confident that they would be happy at any of those four schools. And so it's about what your approach and your strategy is. I think for a lot of students, figuring out, uh, knowing, having some information about schools that they are really passionate and excited about, having them on the list, having some schools that maybe aren't quite, um, they're not as sure about. They maybe have loved a school since they were seven years old, but they haven't had the means or the opportunity to visit there. Put it on your list, but on the back end, it may not be something that works out. So it really depends on whether or not they're front-loading their decision process or they're narrowing down that list at the back end. I hear from a lot of students in the 6, 8, 10 range, just as a, as a marker. Okay. And a note on that too, schools don't know that you've applied to other places. So even if you're using the common application, it's not like each school gets a list of every school that you submitted. It is a unique relationship from the student to each school. So if a student is just applying to one or five or 50, those schools don't know what other schools the student is looking at unless the student tells them. Okay, good. Good point. Now, what factors should students consider when selecting a college? That's important, I'm sure. And what are some things that you think that you know, students may overlook in that process as well. Visiting campus is such a key component to the dis- the final decision process because it allows students to assess a little bit of lingo that we use in the business, which is fit, right? Finding a campus should be like finding a good pair of shoes. This is where you're going to go to class. This is where you're going to live. It's where you're going to eat. These are the peers that you're going to have for the rest of your life. So it's that assessment of not just the academic component. Do they have my major? Does it cost the right amount of money for my family? But do I want to be here? Is this community the next right step for me? And I think that's where we talk about whether you visit before you apply or you visit after you apply or after you've been accepted, you need to visit. That gives you that fit feeling. So it's all of those. Could this be my home for the next four or so years? Okay. And Lauren, what factors should students consider when selecting a college? It's important that parents especially understand that this is an emotional decision for the students just as much as it is a rational decision. And that can be especially difficult for parents because they tend to be looking at the dollar signs and distance from home and what will it look like when we move you on campus, the nuts and bolts. And the student is saying, oh, this residence hall is really cool. Or I met someone on campus and they were really nice to me. Or the tour guide was funny. Cute. They were cute, right? Yes, yes, exactly. That that does come into it. 
And those all play a part. Um, like you were saying, the the fit, that all is in the decision. And there's no right or wrong. If the student feels that this is a place that they can be successful, that they're being prepared for what comes after college, and it's a place that they can see themselves for four years being happy, being healthy, uh, making connections, that's okay. It doesn't have to check all the boxes as long as it checks the ones that are most important. You know, um, working with young people, and it's funny because you get a sense of why people are choosing certain colleges. Sometimes it's, I want to get away from my parents, so it has to be far away, or Mm -hmm. I need to stay close at home. I'm really not ready, or I need somewhere where I can actually stay at home. So it's different. On that level, it's different for a lot of people, and I'm I'm sure you see that as well. And what is it? Let's talk about this. What is the? I don't want to say the dangers, but you know, some people, some children are students, young people. I want to get as far away as I can from my parents, but you know, they're not really thinking. You know, sometimes that's not the best idea. Let's talk about that very quickly because I'm sure someone has sat in your office in front of you and had those exact thoughts. The dangers of getting far away from home, or just the process. I always talk to families and say, "Okay, parents." You're not the decision maker in this process, but you are the stakeholder because oftentimes they're holding the purse strings, right? Mm -hmm. And they know their student better than anyone else. If your son or daughter doesn't know how to do laundry and they want to go away to school, you've got some lessons that need to be had before that can happen. So knowing what your son or daughter is capable of before they make that decision of getting so far away. I know that every university or college that I've ever worked at sees students who transfer back home after the first semester. And that is an option for students. They go away, they go, this is right for me right now. Six, nine months, 12 months later, it may not be right for them and they move back closer to home and they make that transition. And that is a possibility for students. But I I respect students who say, I want to get out there, I want to do, I want to experience. Uh, And hopefully their their stakeholders are guiding them into what's a fit for them, whether it's here in their backyard or, or far away. You brought up something really important, and I think parents may overlook this. It's kind of like, you know, some of the things you used to learn in home economics. You know, you talked about um, doing your own laundry and things like that. But I think parents need to know, make sure that their child knows how to budget because you are going to be out on your own. And those are some things that parents and students may miss the boat on. Is that right? That is correct. There are a lot of life skills that are important in college. I think many of us on the admission side would say one of those big skills is looking someone in the eye and shaking their hand. This is a texting generation, right? So they're used to, they want to send us text messages. They don't know how to talk to us on the phone. Um, So those basic business skills that they can start to build through the admissions process and then living on their own. Where am I going to eat? What am I going to eat? You know, there's people talk about the freshman 15, bad food choices or lots of food options in that first semester. They've got to do their own laundry at most institutions. Um, They have the opportunity to not have a curfew maybe for the first time. So having those conversations with your students through their through their high school years and helping them prepare for really that first step into adulthood is part of this process. Very much so. All right. Good. Now, Lauren, let me ask you this. Now, do most kids we talked about this earlier, but do most kids get into that dream college, their dream college that they just always dreamed of going to do most kids get into their dream college? That depends. Almost all students find a place where they do feel comfortable and can be successful. That dream school often changes. And I think something that 
really worries parents and students as they're entering this process is the discussion in in the media and kind of popular culture about college is that this is just a terrifying process and you have to jump through all these hoops and you have to be perfect. And the reality is for most students, they're going to get into a school, um, again, where they can be happy. Only a very, very small percentage, probably 1% or less of students, are going to those schools that you think of where it's dog-eat-dog and it's just almost a miracle to get in. About three-quarters of college students attend schools where 50% or more of the students are admitted. So, again, it is a stressful time. It's a stressful process. But it is much doable than I think many people think before they start this. And in case you're just tuning in all morning long, we're talking about preparing young people for college. For more information, visit our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now and like us there now. You can actually join the conversation there as well. You can find out more information about our admissions professionals, Melissa Bayer. She's Associate Director of Admissions with the University of Cincinnati. Lauren Purcell is Dean of Admissions at Xavier University. Now let's talk about SAT and ACT testing. How helpful are those pre-test courses? What do you hear and what kind of feedback do you get from students? I think the feedback that we have heard more anecdotally is that it depends, which is often the answer. (laughs) Um, Many, many students study on their own. They maybe go to a test prep session at their high school and they're fine. For some students, if they feel like they need an extra boost, there are more intense test prep sessions available at many levels. It's not a must. Again, I would say the majority of students are studying on their own. They may take the test more than once, which is completely fine. But I wouldn't say that if you don't take an intense test prep class, you're just crazy or totally out of line. Okay. Melissa? It's becoming more common, if not just simply commonplace, for high schools to offer a pre-SAT, the PSAT, or the pre-ACT, which is the the plan test. Um, And that gives students an indicator of where they are. They need to work with their, their guidance counselors to say, what does this mean? The scores don't read exactly the same, but there are some indicators so that they can then talk to their family, talk to their high school counselor about whether or not a prep class is needed. My advice to students about tests is it's part of the picture. It's not the entire picture for any university. For some colleges and universities that are test optional, it's not a part of it at all. So that needs to be part of their search process. What are they looking for? What do they need from an institution? I always tell students, take the test officially for the first time. Take both of them, the SAT and the ACT, in the spring of your junior year. You can then kind of say, okay, teacher, parents, guidance counselor, which of these tests did I do better on? They're very different tests. They test wildly different ways and wildly different things. And then at least take that test one more time. So we're talking about taking these tests at least three times so that you can have an opportunity to improve your score and really see where you're going to come out in the process. Okay. And so for bigger schools and bigger universities, how important are those scores, though? 
Yeah. So as the big university, I'll, I'll, I'll address that. Um, they're a part of the process. They're a part of the picture. So the University of Cincinnati receives over 20,000 applications for their freshman class. We read every single one of them. We read every essay. We review every transcript. That is all a part of that process. So the test score is one piece of it. But there are some indicators and there are some benchmarks on a national level that tell us whether or not a student is prepared for college. Um, and those benchmarks are put out by the testing agencies. And most colleges and universities are going to say, unfortunately, if you're at a certain level on that test, you may need to try again. You may need to take that test again. You may need to take one of those test prep classes. But in the admissions process, it's that whole picture. Many of us will say that what you do in the classroom is far more important than what you do on a one-day test that you take once or twice in a year. So that test, again, is just part of that picture. We want to see that academic performance uh, first and foremost. Lauren? If a student is concerned about their score, they should absolutely work with their college guidance counselor. But don't be afraid to contact the school that you're interested in attending and just asking an admission counselor, this is the score I have. Is this realistic for admission? Would I have a chance at all with this score? For most schools, they're happy to tell you. It's not a secret. Um, the, the standard score that they admit is usually available on the website. But any admission counselor is more than happy to review it and just give the student an idea. It, it Don't be intimidated by the school. The admission counselor is really there to help students with the process. All right. So let's talk about this. This is your, you know, your area of expertise. So let's talk about the college admissions process. Now, outside of that perfect SAT score that, you know, you guys are all looking for as an admissions professional at a major university and college. Uh, what attributes are you looking for in the students that you guys accept? There are a lot of things okay, to Melissa. be considered in okay. the process. Uh, and it often depends on the institution that you're looking at. Um, they have different things that they focus on in the process. Um, the University of Cincinnati is a direct admit institution. If a student wants to come and study engineering, we want to see a strong math and science curriculum. When I see a student that wants to do engineering but has all C's in their math and science classes, that's a no-go for me. Uh, or a student who um, wants to major in a foreign language but they haven't taken any foreign language in high school, it leaves us questioning, right? So when the student puts together their application, wherever they're going, it's almost as if they're making a case of what their fit is for the institution or the program. So we talked at the beginning a little bit about the type of curriculum, that college prep curriculum. I think we're all looking for that, that the student has pushed themselves in a way that they can be successful, that they've been involved, whether it's in high school or outside of the high school, that they have sought their own ways to be a leader. That doesn't always mean being the president of club or organization, but they've had some opportunities for growth and development. Um, and that they've been academically successful, I think, are are the key things that we tend to be looking for when we read applications. Okay. Lauren? Students don't have to be perfect. Mm -hmm. But through the application process, they need to be themselves. So for most schools, an essay is required. And we love to see the essay about that student. We don't want to get an essay that could be anyone's. If you take the name off and it could it could literally be any students, that doesn't show us who you are. So students really shouldn't be afraid to show their personality, show some humor, really write about what they're passionate about. That is true for interviews as well. If a student is interviewing with the college, show who you are 
and what you would bring to that campus. Okay, good. Um, so do you guys look at things like extracurricular, some of the things, community service, are those things important as well? Like Lauren said, it's all about that student story. Those are key pieces of the student story. What they've latched onto in high school and been successful in and maybe been a leader in and had some growth opportunities within is going to be those extracurricular involvements in high school, whether they've gotten passionately involved in the band, whether it's been the science Olympiad for them, whatever it is within the high school part-time work is one where, yes, that is commendable for students to be doing that in addition to whatever they're doing within school. So the common application allows them to build almost like a resume that we can then see how long they've been involved in different extracurriculars, what type of roles they've taken on. And that is absolutely a part of figuring out what that student's story is. All right. And in case you're just tuning in this morning, all morning long, we're talking about how to prepare young people for college. We're talking to Melissa Bayer. She's with the University of Cincinnati. We're talking to Lauren Purcell. She's with Xavier University. For more information, you can go to our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now and like us there now. Now, do you think that the college admissions process is more competitive today than maybe it was a few years ago? They're both laughing (laughs) to themselves, right? (laughs) I think there have been changes in the number of schools that students apply to, and that has created additional applications across the board. So there's more murkiness in the process for us. Um, We have to figure out how many offers to make in order to enroll a class, uh, but we want to do that with the student in mind, which students are going to be most successful and happiest here. So I don't want to use the word more competitive. I want to say that There's just more opportunities and more things to wade through on our side and maybe on the student side. Again, it's about finding that that fit. Okay, Lauren, your thoughts? I think just technology changes have made this process different. So even, and I'm dating myself, but when I was going through this process, it really was you fill out a paper application that you received in the mail and you put it in an envelope and you maybe handwrite your essay and mail it back. And it was such an individual process. You maybe only applied to one or two, three schools that you were fairly confident you were going to get into because you weren't going to spend all day handwriting applications to 25 schools. Now that it's such an more of an automated process, more online. It's just easier to take a chance at things and apply to more schools. And then it that adds to the stress and the confusion, as Melissa said. So I don't think it's really more competitive. It's just a different landscape. And again, in case you're just tuning in all morning long, we're talking about preparing young people for college. We're talking to two college admissions professionals. For more information, reach out to us on our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear. Now, let's talk about the college interview process. Why are these interviews so important? And what are you looking for from students during these interviews? Lauren? I would say that my biggest pieces of advice are be yourself, and for parents, it's the student's interview. Parents can absolutely drive the student to the interview, but they need to wait in the lobby. They are not part of the interview process. And that can be hard sometimes, even for the student, uh, because they're nervous. But this is really the student's chance 
to have a discussion with the college representative. Okay. Melissa. So much of the process should be driven by the student. I wish you guys could see her smile. I mean, she's, she's just, <laughs> <laughs> that's we, go ahead. So when a student shows up at our door and we ask them, why do you want to come here? And they start the sentence with, well, my mom or well, my dad, we kind of go, oh, okay. So we have educating to do here because we may still be a fit for that student, but we need them to understand the process. We need the student to want to be at our institution, not the student's parents, not the student's teacher. But that student needs to understand. And so oftentimes with interviews, it's that they understand the institution that they're talking to, that they already know something and why that something might be a good fit for them. And that oftentimes comes through in that sincerity on the student's behalf. It also makes things less awkward because the admissions counselor goes, "Okay, we're just going to have a conversation about you and my institution. That's easy. That's a piece of cake. But a student that doesn't know why they're there, that's a whole different ballgame. Okay. And so is there anything that young people, students can do to prepare for this interview, their college interview? Smiles again. (laughs) Lauren. The first would be understand what type of interview you're going into. So at Xavier, we do interviews, but it's more casual. So it's more of a conversation about what the student is looking for, what questions they have, what Xavier can be for that student or offer. And we don't hold it against the student. It's not really a a required piece of the application. For some other schools, it absolutely is required. They will not be admitted without an interview. At some schools, they may interview with an admission counselor. They might interview with an alum. The student needs to know before they get in there what they're going to face so they can prepare adequately. Okay. Melissa. I think that... Some of the skills that students just need to have to be prepared, again, that opportunity to present themselves, to look someone in the eye, to have a conversation, to shake someone's hand. Those are baseline. Those are key. But Lauren's um, exactly spot on. You need to know what the expectation is of the interview. Do I need to really highlight myself and my accomplishments or am I here to learn about the institution? What is the role of this in the process? And most colleges and universities are very, very upfront with that. Who is the interview with? What is the goal? And as long as students understand that, I think they can present themselves accordingly. All right. And again, this morning, all morning long, we're talking about preparing young people for college. For more information, you can visit our Facebook page, Sunday Morning Magazine with Rodney Lear on Facebook. Head there now and like us there. Now we're talking to Lauren Purcell. She's with Xavier University and Melissa Bayer. She is with the University of Cincinnati. Now, let me ask the two of you this. Now, what should students do after the college interview? There are some things that I think students should do etiquette-wise, but in your opinion, what should students do after their college interview? After an interview, I think it's appropriate to send a a note of thank you from the student, Mm -hmm. from the student themselves, whether it's a a form. We get very few note card thank yous anymore. Put an email that says thank you for your time. Um, whether there's any follow-up that was engaged in the interview, whether they learned something new that they want to confirm or wanted to share something new about themselves is appropriate. And then if they haven't already done their homework in regards to the institution and an appropriate visit, that would be a next good step for them post an interview. Okay. Lauren, anything? The only other thing I would say is don't beat yourself up about it. No matter what happened, if it was fantastic, if you thought it was terrible, we're always our own biggest critics, in most cases anyway. The interview happened. 
follow up. But there's nothing you can do about it if you felt it went poorly. Okay, so a few weeks ago, I was asked to write a college recommendation letter um, for a family member. How important are those letters? And are you guys going to read my letter or what? Not that I directly sent them to you guys, but uh, not even your schools. But do admissions professionals look at those letters? Do they actually read those letters? We yes. absolutely do. <laughs> okay, yes. good, so good. we really do read every single. I didn't single... write in vain. So good. <laughs> no, not at all. We read every single piece of the application. We read the recommendations. We read the essays. We look at the transcripts. It all goes into the file. It's all considered as, as part of the full application. Okay. Absolutely. We're reading everything. Again, it's that student's opportunity to tell their story. So for students, it's picking a good recommender that knows them well, that can say more than just, Joey's a really nice boy, <laughs> um, you know, that can speak to... You must have got my letter. <laughs> <laughs> so it, we do read it all and, and we want to read it. Yes. Okay. And so can you write letters for like a cousin or a family member? Is that frowned upon or... What's what's the ins and outs of that? We prefer letters that can speak to the students' success academically um, in the workplace if they've had a, a part-time job, something like that. So letters from family members aren't our first choice. Mm -hmm. Again, we'll still read them, but we know that you're probably more biased okay, because so it's your family member. So you have the recommendation letters there for mom, dad, and grandma, right? right? <laughs> yeah, and I will say sometimes families are tempted to look for a, a big name or someone that they think might be impressive in the application process. It's mom's boss's cousin happens to be <laughs> a millionaire or a, a famous person. Let's get them to write a, a letter of recommendation. But if the student doesn't know that person well enough to ask for that recommendation themselves, mm -hmm. then that person doesn't know the student well enough to really write something substantive. So don't don't try to impress us with the name. Impress us with their uh, their high opinion of you and the things that you've done. OK, good. Good information. Now, let's talk about the all important financial aid and scholarships. Millions of young people across the country take out student loans to make their college dreams a reality. What should students know about student loans and financial aid? I think one of the key things that students and families should know is that the process has changed in the last couple of years. And so they need to be uh, working with their guidance counselor to find out even just what the timeline is. I think the other thing that we spend a lot of time um, talking to families about is you may think you won't qualify for anything, but there's no harm in filing the FAFSA, which is the free application for federal student aid. That is the only way that your student can receive those federal loans, whether they're subsidized or unsubsidized. Um, so file the FAFSA. Find out what is there for you, what is your option, and then talk to your students about do they need a loan and at what amount. Um, a lot of families, I think, fall into the trap of not having the conversation and suddenly the students take in the full amount of the loan available to them, even though they didn't exactly need that amount. So have that conversation, make your budget, lay out what you're going to need, and then fund yourself accordingly. Okay. Lauren? It's tempting for families when they start this process to automatically cut schools off the list because they 
think they're too expensive. So we hear that a lot. Oh, I'm not going to consider that school because it's too expensive. You never really know what the actual cost is going to be until you go through the financial aid process. So keep the school on the list. If you can be admitted to that school, let them send you the financial documents. Look at your financial aid package and then make your decision. Some schools will cover full need. Some schools won't. You might qualify for scholarships at one school where you didn't think you would. So don't assume until you really have the information. All right, Lauren, you brought up something really important. You talked about scholarships. Um, What's the best way to find out what's available in terms of scholarships for young people? And what do you recommend? So the first stop is going to be the website for the school that you're applying to. Uh, Most schools will have a list of scholarships. Apply to anything that you qualify for. Be really careful about deadlines. We hear that often. Oh, I, the deadline was yesterday. Can I still apply? And in many cases, it's going to be no. Follow the directions. Make sure that everything they're asking for in that scholarship application, you're doing correctly. Outside of the school's scholarships, there are lots of scholarships from organizations all over for tons of different reasons. Start with the Google search. And that's kind of the the basic thing. There are other scholarship aggregator um, websites and services that you can use. I think one important thing to note, going through the financial aid process and going through the scholarship process, if you have to pay to be considered, stop right there. The application, the FAFSA, is a free application. If you end up on a website that's asking you to pay a fee to file, Close it down. Um, It is absolutely free. Scholarships, um, grants, you should not have to pay your money in hopes of getting something back. Uh, That's really not how it works. And that's kind of a common um, scam that you might run into in this process. Melissa? When it comes to scholarships, do your research. Every school does it differently, unfortunately. Um, We try to streamline the process as much as we can for students. But things are different. Some schools do have separate applications and separate essays and maybe an interview that's needed for a scholarship. Some schools don't. So really know what you're looking at in the process. Um, And then do take a look at, at, talk to your guidance counselor, take a look at the scholarship options that they have available. Oftentimes they'll get um, applications sent to them or emailed to them for certain scholarships. There may be scholarships that are in a perfect little niche for you as a student whether it's in your area of study or an extracurricular that you've been really involved in, talk to the people around you to help navigate that. Okay. And what should parents know when it comes to financial aid and scholarships? What do you want parents to know when you have parents come in the office and you just, you know, I wish they would know this or they knew this. What is it that parents should know? I think the two things that come to mind for me is, is first the FAFSA. File it and file it for free. Even if it's just the first time that you file it, if it does um, really end up that you don't qualify for anything, then good. You know that, but you've done your due diligence to find out. Mm-hmm. Just uh, Families who come in and say, I'm just not going to file it. I'm always kind of like, well, that's your choice, but I do wish you would. So you would know for certain. So that's one. Um, the other side of that is really that families understand that the cost of 
college education is high, but we are not a a car dealership. We are not um, selling them, you know, a, a house. There isn't a bidding process here. There isn't a back and forth. We are doing the best we can as institutions to offer aid, whether it's scholarships or need-based aid, to students that we think will be most successful. Um, and we don't have bottomless pockets of money to award from as much as we wish that we did. Mm-hmm. So we're on your team. Talk to us like we're on your team. Don't talk to us like we're your competitor or that we're out to get you in this process. We want to help you find that fit too. Okay. Lauren? And it's also not personal. I think we'll hear from families who say, well, this other school gave my child $1,000 more, so they must want her more. And that that's not the case. It's just a different way to calculate the financial aid. It's not that that school respects your child more or wants them more. It's it's just how the math worked out. So don't take it so personally that it's an insult somehow. All right. And with that, we're running out of time this morning. Ladies, I want to get your final thoughts as we look at the college admissions process. What do you want parents to know? What do you want students to know? I will often counsel families, parents especially, don't let your child connect this process with their self-worth as a person. And also, the parents shouldn't judge their ability as a parent or their worth in raising this child on this process. It's one part of a great long life, and it doesn't mean that that your child will never succeed if they don't get into their dream school or you're somehow a bad parent if your child is not going to this name brand school. Um, it, it's, it's one thing. Your student is going to be successful. They're going to be happy. You've raised them right. All right. Really good point there, Lauren. Melissa. This process can absolutely be a really very exciting time of exploration in a family. There is a great opportunities for parents to get to know their children in a more and different way and for children to get to know their parents in a different way through this process that I really invite families to take advantage of. And maybe that means that the student isn't going to their parents' dream school, but maybe they learn something about their student in the process or they learn something really cool about a school that they weren't even aware of in the process. It should be an exciting exploration for them. All right. Really good information. If our listeners, if they would like to find out more about Xavier University, um, the admissions process there, Lauren, how can they find out more? So the best place to start is our website, Xavier.edu. Okay. And Melissa, likewise for the University of Cincinnati. Best place to start is the website, admissions.uc.edu. All right. Well, thank you both so much for taking time to talk to me. Um, Really good information. And I know this will help families. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Stick around. We'll be back with more Sunday Morning Magazine in a moment.